Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Hey, before we get into it, I would just like to preempt this by saying that the, the practice of fasting, so abstaining from food, we're going to get into it in a second, but I'm aware there'll be some people that won't be able to do that, won't be able to engage in not eating. I'm aware of a couple of friends who won't be able to engage in it that way. And I just want to say, if that is you, um, ask the pastoral team or your connect leader to get someone to come alongside you and help you look at what you can do in that prayer and fasting week to devote more of your time, energy and focus to God. Uh, there'll be a great way to do that. But if you can't fast, don't try and do it to the glory of God and run yourself into the absolute ground. Uh, we want to look after you. We care about you. And so our pastoral team are here to assist you if you fall in that category. And the reason that is, is because the definition of fasting, uh, at least from the Bible, is that it literally means to cover your mouth and refrain from eating. Moses in the book of Exodus, uh, many of you be aware of the story. He goes up Mount Sinai. He actually fasts for 40 days as he spends time in God's presence and writes down on 10 tablets the commandments from God. Uh, the prophet Elijah, actually on his way to that same mountain, different name, but actually the same place, uh, he also fasts for 40 days. And then many would know the story of Jesus that directly after his baptism, he's led into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. Uh, many prophets and kings right throughout the Old Testament, they proclaim fasts for a whole nation. And so a whole nation of people come under this fast and it's often paired with, uh, some of you would, be, would know this maybe from a funny saying, which is when you're covered in sackcloth and ash. Um, and we used to say that at my household as a joke sometimes, if someone's sports team lost, you say, I've got to put on the sackcloth and ash. Whatever. But really that's an indication of mourning and sorrow and a time of fasting. Now, everybody, I hate to tell you this, fasting as it is in the Bible is not always a joyous time. It's often a deep time of repentance, a deep time of desperation, sorrow and mourning. Welcome to church. <laughs> but everyone, fasting in Scripture often has a deep connection to sin, has a deep connection to confession and repentance to God. It's, it's through the act of fasting that people can return to God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, but... As people fast and they request of God, they seek to hear from God. They also seek to return to God. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, it says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord, their God. If you're wondering what to do prayer and fasting week, there's a little blueprint run sheet from the book of Nehemiah you can have a look at. But let's have a look in Jonah. In Jonah, the, the word of the Lord comes to Nineveh through this reluctant missionary called Jonah. And the word of the Lord is that God's holy judgment is coming upon the city of Nineveh if they don't turn from their wickedness and turn to God. And let's read what happens. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, it says, 
The Ninevites believed God. This word comes to the city and they believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warnings reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of kings and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And I love the language here. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This same sort of language is in Joel chapter 2, where it says in verse 12, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. I wish it said with eating and jumping and dancing. But verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. I love that. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. And verse 14, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Both those passages are in the Old Testament and it ends with a who knows? Maybe God will relent. And the good thing for you and I is, is that we now do know. Because Jesus Christ has come, God in a bod, God's Son has come to the earth as an expression of His love, grace and mercy to tell us that, hey, it's no longer who knows, it's now we do know because of Jesus, you can experience grace, love and salvation. Now we, we see in the Bible that there are, there are public fasts where you do it as a team, you do it as a nation. And whether it was out of choice or having to, there was these like communal fasts. And there's also individual fasts where one person does it privately. We are going to, as a church, engage in a communal fast. We're together as a church. We are going to abstain from eating for a season uh, or for a period of time in pursuit, in greater pursuit of God. So why do we do that together? We're seeking God. We believe in God for a breakthrough. We are requesting of God. But also as a church, we're wanting to return to God, return back to the heart of God. If there's things that have corrupted us, if there's sin that's gotten in us, if there's offence in us, if there's just a hardness in us, we can return to God through this practice as an individual, but also as a church family. Because God is coming back for a glorious church and we've got a part to play in that because when I was younger and our church was 10 people, I was 10% of the church. So when God's coming back for a glorious church without blemish, I was 10% of the blemish. So I needed to crack on and do some stuff. So this is a practice of cracking on under the grace of God in pursuit of Him. Everybody as a church, we're wanting to go somewhere together. We're wanting to serve the nations together and we want you to come on the journey we want to see the work of God in each individual's heart, but also in the heart of our church collectively. It's togetherness, it's unity. And prayer and fasting is breaking out of your routine and our regularly scheduled programming to pursue God in a greater way. And like all faith practices, everybody, this is so important. It's completely voluntarily. It is not a requirement. We do it as a sacrifice. And I love this definition of fasting, sacrificial pursuit. I love that. But that's pretty much the Christian walk, right? Sacrificial pursuit. And fasting expresses our earnestness. And it absolutely has the potential to heighten our sensitivity to God. When I first fasted in high school, 
I thought it would be a moment of struggle in days of clarity, but it ended up being a moment of clarity in days of struggle. It was beautiful and painful. And I remember letting my mum know one time that I was going to fast. And then I I was too embarrassed to come out of my room for a snack about 45 minutes into it because I told her I was going to fast. It was tough. I'd committed to a, a fast, abstaining from food, and I experienced anguish and pain. And I looked at the clock, it had been 20 minutes. But it is hard. It's beautiful and painful. And why would anybody do that? We do it out of hunger, which is ironic. It's a greater hunger for God than it is our hunger for food. It's, we do it out of pursuit of God, out of desperation for more of God, and sometimes out of desperation for something from God. It's not out of religious duty or obligation, but it's out of devotion to God. It's worship and it's spiritual hunger. And so I've got three things I just want to touch on tonight really quickly. Three words, I've got consecration, requesting and dependence. They're going to come up on the screen for us. Consecration. Consecration is the the act of making something sacred for God, setting it apart for God. Because as many of you would be aware, fasting is pretty popular at the moment. There's a thing called intermittent fasting. You don't have to raise your hands. But very popular. And uh, there's a lot of studies coming out about the benefits of regular fasting. And so some people just do that for health reasons. And like many, you know, spiritual practices, the, the physical act is meaningless without the consecration. Some examples would be uh, baptism. You know, if I dunk Mark under the water and bring him back up, am I washing him? I don't know. I don't know what that is. But the minute it's consecrated before God, this is an act with God, for God, by the Word of God. Now it carries great meaning. And it's the same with fasting. Unless it's set apart to God, for God, under the Word of God, you're just skipping breakfast. But the minute you consecrate it before God and say, this is out of worship to you, out of pursuit of you, under your Word, it now becomes a holy practice that carries with it supernatural possibility, spiritual possibility, whereas before it might just be good for your cholesterol. I don't know. You're supernaturally stepping out of the natural through a consecrated natural act. And that is, that is throughout the practices of our faith. Let's look, look at this, Matthew 6, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking about fasting. He said, When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Uh, so when you're fasting, making it obvious to everybody by this kind of stuff. <sighs> Now, I know that because I did that in Bible college. You know, you wanted to let people know you're on a fast to get some spiritual clout, some college clout. Students know what I'm talking about. And someone's like, oh, are you okay, Jordan? You say, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm fine. Oh, have you had lunch? I'm actually fasting. I was like, oh, wow. And you just, hmm. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says, Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. If you want to be celebrated by people when you're fasting, that is the reward. Number, uh, verse 17, But when you fast, put oil on your head. Uh, more modern translations say moisturizer. And wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this passage is near the one where it talks about public prayer too. And it says, hey, don't 
pray like the hypocrites out in the street for people to be seen. And so you'd think that this is saying when you fast, keep it completely private. And that would be the recommendation. But as we know, you're, okay, you're allowed to pray around other people. That passage isn't necessarily about people seeing you do it. It's about the motive in your heart. And so when you say, hey, we're doing a whole church fast, we all know that everybody's fasting. Doesn't that mean that's the reward? Well, it depends on what's going on in your heart. And that's really what it's saying. But Zechariah 7 kind of points this a little bit more. It says, when you fasted, were you not just doing that for yourselves? Is the question God asks. Because everybody, it's consecrated. It's before God, for God, to God, under God. And it's, it's the practice of no food. And what you find that that does is it creates a big void in your life. Uh, if you're like me, quite a large void. Because with food, you are buying food, preparing food, eating food, washing up that food, and then planning the food that you're going to consume next. So in not eating, you create a big void, you create a big margin, and what you fill it with is where the power is, everybody. If all you do is not eat and don't fill that void with connection to God, pursuit of God, you are just skipping meals. But when you fill it with the pursuit of God in the intent to consecrate it before Him, there it holds supernatural possibility and potential for you. So consecration, certainly with the practice of fasting in that week, but let all of me be consecrated before you, God, is the desire as we fast. Number two is requesting. Requesting, so prayer and fasting go together because fasting without prayer is potentially a diet um, and prayer without fasting is, is absolutely a great thing to do. But that is when, often with that is conversation, yes, but when we're praying and fasting, it's in request of something. You look at the pattern of fasting in the Old Testament, it's, it's placing almost a demand on heaven for something, a demand on God for a breakthrough for a nation, a people, an open door, praying for a closed door, praying for judgment not to come down. It's making a request of God. It's breakthrough in a situation. Situation, sometimes breakthrough in a person. It's to know God deeper. It's to position yourself for deeper repentance with the purpose of connecting to God. So you're requesting that God would take you back through repentance and fasting. And so you are making a request to God. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's nothing wrong with asking God for anything, everybody, but don't demand it. And we don't, an we don't earn any answered prayer. Fasting does not manipulate God. It doesn't make God do something against His will. And it's a little bit complex, but it's the idea of influencing God's decision through our powerful, consecrated prayer to Him. I'm going to let Pastor Davinia unpack that in a three-part series at a later date. 
A good example of what I'm talking about, everybody, is the conversation Abraham has with God about saving the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God reveals to Abraham that he is going to destroy the city. And Abraham says, if there's 50 righteous people, would you, would you refrain from destroying the city? And, and God says, yes, if there's 50, I'll do that. And Abraham keeps bringing it lower. What if it's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God says, yes, if I can find 10 righteous people in the city, I won't destroy it. Through the conversation with God, the number went from 50 to 10. It went from sure destruction to, okay, if there's 10 righteous people, then I will refrain. So that is what I'm talking about. Scripture shows us, everybody, that some things... Uh, particularly spiritual strongholds aren't broken without prayer and fasting. Uh, Mark 9.29 and Matthew 17.21 both say the same thing. Uh, It's going to come up on the screen. It says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And this is when Jesus delivers someone from a demon and the disciples had already had a red hot crack at trying to get the demon out of this person. And they say, they're like, how comes it wouldn't come out for us? And Jesus says, this one will only come out by prayer and fasting. And I imagine the disciples being like, well, we did pray. And so the missing element was the fasting. Fasting doesn't make God answer prayer, everybody, but fasting does prepare us for His answer. So fasting doesn't make God answer prayer, but fasting does help prepare us for His answer. Great example of that is when David loses his son in the Old Testament and it says that he fasts and he weeps and he mourns and the minute he gets an answer and the answer is no, that your son will remain dead, David immediately gets up, he eats something and he carries on. And his fasting was preparing him for the answer that God would give him, not to change God's mind. How interesting is that? All right, number three, dependence. Dependence. Through the act of fasting, we're intentionally and willingly placing ourselves in a position of discomfort. We are intentionally and willingly placing ourselves in a position of desperation. We are humbling ourselves before God. I am going to go without to remind my mind and my body that all I need is God. And I love this quote, fasting isn't for the strong, it's for the weak. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The best way we can do that, seek God with all our heart, is relinquish things that have portions of it. And through fasting, we get a great opportunity to release the portions of our life and our heart that food takes up. Which as I said already, for some of us, there's more than others. And I put anyway, we'll move right along. Through that, we are able to get right the priorities and the desires of our heart through the act of fasting. It's great in fasting weeks to relinquish other things. So you may go completely device free for a prayer and fasting week, you may go completely screen time free, Um, you may go completely, what's something else you can go without? Soap free. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's, that's not real fasting. But what you discover through the act of real fasting is that God reveals to you other things that you should be fasting. And not potentially as a matter of a week, but as a matter of a lifestyle. And I've discovered that fasting positions you for spiritual sensitivity and clarity, often as it pertains to things that you should abstain or relinquish to God, which is why it's tough on two fronts, because your stomach's hungry 
and God is revealing to you all the areas of your life you're filling up on that aren't Him. But together, that can be an incredibly potent time of resetting and realigning our dependence to God, reprioritizing our dependence. Our, our default desires need to go back to God and the act of fasting positions us to do just that. One great uh, explanation of fasting is that it's spirit-led self-examination. Because even if, you're, if you are, you're fasting in repentance to God, you're requesting of God a deeper connection with Him and, and sins in the way. So you're, you're saying, God, would you wash and cleanse me in this time? I'm fasting to position myself. What, what can happen is that God reveals to you all the things in you that you need to just continue to bring to God. And it's almost like a week of fasting is a dress rehearsal in some ways for ongoing habits and desires that need to change and come under God's Lordship. Fasting is a practice of starving the flesh and feeding the Spirit. And, and I love how uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks about how he, he brings his body um, under submission. He makes his body a slave. And what it is, it's you and I through fasting before God trying to master our body so that we realise we are not slaves to our body and its desires, but we're actually a slave, a servant of God. What's so interesting is that not eating food positioned Jesus to resist eating food. So when he doesn't eat for 40 days, the first thing he's tempted with is bread. But I would imagine that his stomach is completely empty, but his spirit is full and strong. And it's so funny because I think, man, like there's been times where I've gone and on, on a mission to try and fast food. And I've spent a day not thinking about God and my pursuit of Him, but thinking about Subway. And, and, and I think if someone had come up to me and said, hey, would you like this? I would have just caved. But it's funny how through the act of, if you prolong the amount of time you don't eat food and you consecrate it, this is unto God, for God, I'm pursuing God. That is the reason. It builds up your spirit. So abstaining from food helps you abstain from food. That's why some of you may have had an experience where a fast goes longer and longer because you're being built up as you're doing it. His body was weak. His spirit was strong. Now, everybody, prayer and fasting for an individual and for a church is an opportunity for divine intervention. It's really positioning us to say, God, we need a divine intervention. Many biblical commentaries, including the one that I have, that is one of the definitions it gives fasting. It's positioning oneself for divine intervention with whatever that may look like. And so what we're gonna do as a church is we're positioning ourselves for some divine intervention. There's things we're gonna request of God and obviously there's things that we're doing across the world that we need God's help with. Our buildings, sorry, our buildings need churches. Our churches need buildings. There's buildings that need churches, but our churches need buildings. Our churches need the right people. Our churches need leaders. We need the touch of God. But one thing I know of all of our churches now, one here is our church needs cleaning. We love to sing that song at church. You're cleaning out the temple. You're cleaning out the dirt. I don't like singing that because if I say it, I know He'll do it. And it's painful. Sometimes you find with a fast that, you know, some of the external wow, pow, kapow stuff that you're believing for, God actually turns that time into one of deep inward change and deep inward seeking and repenting. And we come out, maybe not bigger, but cleaner before God as God does an incredible work in us through a season of divine intervention. 
You know, as I get ready to close, just want to revisit those two passages that we read at the start. In the book of Joel, it says, who knows? Through fasting and mourning, maybe God will turn and relent. And instead of bringing calamity and destruction, He'll bring a blessing. And then the book of Jonah, who knows? God may yet relent. And instead of bringing destruction that I deserve, He may bring compassion, turn from His fierce anger and we will not perish. What's so nice for you and I is that we have the end of the story. When these books were written, when those people lived, they had not yet had an awareness of who Jesus Christ was. You and I know it's no longer a who knows, but thank you God for your word that now we do know that destruction and calamity, we can avoid it. We can be removed from that and come under the grace, love and compassion of God. God's wrath was quenched at the cross on Jesus. And so for us to put our faith in Christ and His finished work on the cross, we don't have to experience what we deserve because we all deserve holy judgment. We all deserve the the anger and the wrath of God because all have sinned before Him. Yet we can receive what we don't deserve, not because of something we do, not even through fasting, but because of something that we can receive. And it's a free gift from Jesus Christ. And I know God loves you. And I know God's got a plan for your life. And I know that God has a purpose for tonight because you being here shows me that He wanted you in His house. He wanted you in His presence. And He wanted you to know that He's reaching out to you. Because that is exactly what's happening in this moment. God in His love and His sovereignty is reaching out to you tonight and giving you an opportunity to not experience destruction, to not experience eternity away from God, but to experience eternity with God and this side of eternity to experience life with Him in all the freedom and fullness that He has for us. It's found in Jesus, but it's as we put our faith in Jesus. And so tonight, I wanna stir you. I wanna encourage you to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as you do, The who knows, the questions in your life about your eternity, about your eternal destination, you can leave with peace in those areas, knowing that because of Jesus Christ, a who knows becomes I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'll spend eternity in heaven. I know I'll spend eternity with the Father. It's as simple, everybody, as putting our faith in Him and then confessing. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.